Greetings to all my cool cats and cool kittens. They try to copy our style, but they stay frostbitten. You are now tuned to the sounds of MaximumFM.ca. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome to Cool Radio. What we doing? You can catch me on your TV. Even on the radio. Pop up at our blog spot. And on my Waco. We invaded airwaves. Cool. Oh, you didn't know? Your ass better call somebody! Indeed, indeed. Tell a friend to tell a friend that we're live on the airwaves right now, and we have a packed show to get to you tonight. I have a guest in studio who will be appearing here around the 845 mark. She goes by the name of Artie Patel. She is a journalist for Global News, so we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of stuff within the pop culture realm, as well as some social issues as well. So besides from that, we got to get into a whole bunch of things this week. This week was so hard for me to pack down on topics. There are so many things happening right now. We got to talk about Fabulous. We got to talk about Black Panther. We got to talk about uh, Julie Black giving that clap back to somebody. We got to talk about all that stuff. But before we do, you guys already know how I do at the beginning of the show, man. I got some stuff to let off of my chest. So on that note, I think it's time to let that ish breathe. Let this bitch breathe. So as you all know, we are in the prime of the social media age. I think this is probably the high point of it. I don't think it's going to get any higher. We're probably just resting on the climax of it. As we speak, and we've seen some good out of it. We see some bad come out of it. We've seen some entertaining stuff come out of it, but we've also seen some coonery come out of it. We've had some pretty fun challenges, like you know the Running Man challenge, the Umbaku challenge, you know inspired by Black Panther, uh, the uh, Ice Bucket challenge, all that good stuff. But then we've had our fair share of idiotic challenges, like. The planking challenge, or for example, the most recent one, the Tide Pod challenge. And ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, I bring to you another idiotic challenge that has made its way onto the internet once again. And I say once again because it was a thing a few years back, but that was during the Vine age. And we all know Vine is no longer with us. Rest in peace. Uh, but somehow, this challenge did not die with Vine. Um, it actually, or sorry, with Vine. It actually lived in spite of it. So on that note, I have to bring it up and I have to talk about it because this is somewhat of an epidemic that needs to end right now. I am talking about the condom challenge. Now you're probably wondering to yourselves, what is the condom challenge? What does this entail? Is it some sort of competition between who has the better brand? No, 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 no. This is a challenge that involves both men and women. And basically the object of this challenge, if you will, is that you have to take a condom, open it from the wrapper, of course, and then you know, unroll it or unravel it, whatever you want to call it. And then you have to proceed to insert it up your nostril, one of your two nostrils, whichever one is fine with you, lefty, righty, it doesn't really matter. Um, you insert it up your nostril, and then you sniff it. And you sniff it profusely. You snort it, if you will, until the other end of the condom reaches the roof of your mouth. And then you take your fingers and you insert it into your mouth like a pair of pliers. And then you pull it 
out like a sock out of a drawer. Ladies and gentlemen, I kid you not, this is actually a thing right now. I didn't know it was a thing back in 2013, but it is making a comeback right now like LL Cool J. It is that serious. And I've seen some of these videos before. You see people kind of gagging or like about to vomit out mucus and everything like that. And I'm asking myself, you know, well, first thing I'm asking myself is what kind of condoms were they using? Were they lubricated condoms? Were they for her pleasure? Were they ribbed? Were they magnum? Were they the uh, the thin type for sensitivity uh, purposes? And what brand of condoms were they? Were they Trojan? They Did they infiltrate like a Trojan, if you will? Uh, were they lifestyle? Were they, you know, those $1 brands they can get for free at the free health clinic? Were they those types? Do those types go down a bit easier? All these questions need to be asked when we're, when we're discussing the hypothesis of the best type of condom or male contraceptive to use when sniffing it up your nose and then pulling it out the wrong pipe, therefore causing some sort of uh, deliriousness. But nonetheless, my point is this, all jokes aside, this is one of the ills of the social media generation. The fact that people will do anything for likes, reposts, retweets, stunting on the gram, if you will, all that stuff. And I say to people, is your health worth being the talk of the town for about 15 minutes? Is your psyche worth going viral? Is it worth being, you know, the object of coonery for the next five minutes or so? Like, I ask all these questions because I feel like the people who participate in these challenges have no qualms about being the village idiot. Because now it's coming to a point where you have a company like Tide, for example, who actually has to pull their items off of the shelves because people are dying off of their products. I'm sorry. Why do a conglomerate like Tide have to feel or bear any type of responsibility for the actions of idiots. Like, it's easy for anyone to tell a three or four-year-old child to not ingest a particular item that is not edible. I don't understand why it should be difficult for us to tell people who are over the age of 18 or just in general over the age of consent to not do stuff like that because this is basic fundamentals. Unless if you're Annie the Orphan or Pinocchio who never had a father or mother to tell you these things, then why are you still doing it? I really don't understand the rhyme or reason for these things. And now it may come to a point where companies like Trojan and Lifestyle and what are the condom, I don't know the other condom brands out there. But besides that, they're going to come to a point where people are going to be pulling their items off the shelves. And then once that happens, what male contraceptives are going to be available? You know what I mean? I mean, sure, if you want to start another baby boom, okay, I get what you're trying to do. But that's not the way it goes about it. Like, I can't picture myself snorting up a condom just so I can get more listens on cool radio. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be the sacrificial goat in that scenario. Now, if you want me to participate in the hot Dorito chip challenge, yeah, sure, I'll do that. It's edible. I like Doritos. It makes sense. And it's spicy. I'm African. I'm used to spicy food. Easy peasy. No worries. That's, that's easy. That's light work. But to sniff a condom, to sniff a, think about it like this. Let's just take the word condom out of the equation. To insert a piece of, of rubber that has been doused in some sort of lubricant that is not meant for, you know, extreme close nostril proximity seems absurd to me to say the very least. So I don't know why 
again, why this generation feels as though that they have to succumb to this new low. I mean, this is one of the things that gives millennials a bad name. And I just want to keep in mind that the millennials are who are doing this are the millennials who were born after 1997, all right? So I just want to put that out there because they do not represent me. I'm one of the mid-tier millennials, if you will, all right? Uh, and then I feel like it's kind of crossing over into the 2K generation. So all the kids who are born after the year 2000, the ones who don't even remember who Patrick Ewing is, yeah, that generation, okay? So all in all, stop sniffing condoms, stop eating Tide Pods, and learn to use some common sense because that is what you were born with. Maybe it's Maybelline. Do you agree with me? Do you disagree with me? Hit me up on social media on as many platforms as possible at Cool Radio CC and share your thoughts. Coming up after the commercial break, I have Artie Patel in studio. We're going to be talking a whole bunch of race-related topics. We're going to be talking about gender-related topics. We're going to be talking about entertainment and sports-related topics, all that good stuff. But before we get to that, you know we got to get to some Canadian content. And this one comes by way of my man Goliath Paw. And this one is called We Beyond, and it's only on cool radio yeah cool. yes yes y'all welcome back to the show once again it is your man dm cool and welcome back to cool radio as promised i do have my guest for the evening now this young lady right here is a journalist and she has worked for publications such as huffington post canada and currently global news she is a lifestyle journalist and she also talks about race gender equality issues and much more and she also just so happens to be an avid Raptors fan and aka We The North fan and you already know when it comes to that I am all ears ladies and gentlemen with that being said I have the lovely and talented Artie Patel in studio what's going on hello how you doing today I'm doing well nice nice you know what thank you for coming through because I know you have a very busy schedule so I'm glad you can make time for little old me <laughs> anytime Anytime. That's a sub. So let's get into it. Um, so what made you decide that you wanted to become a journalist, a storyteller, if you will? I have a very morbid story that comes with that story, actually. Actually, you know what? Yeah. I'm down to here. Let's do it. Um, many years ago, when I was about 13 years old, mm -hmm. I had a friend in my neighborhood who was murdered, right. actually. Mm -hmm. uh, terrible story. Mm -hmm. She was a victim of child pornography mm. and stalking. Right. And it was sort of an international story. Right. It was everywhere. And I was really young at that time. And she was young too. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I sort of thought about was like, holy crap, there are a bunch of reporters, you know, down my street. Yeah. There are a bunch of people uh, locking at our doors, asking for interviews if we know this girl. Right. And I kind of took a step back at that time, even though, again, I'm like 13, 14. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to figure out Okay, what are they going to say about her? Right. Because I know her. Right. We know her. Mm -hmm. The adults know her. Mm -hmm. What are they going to say about her? And I started reading. And that was the first time I think I really picked up papers yeah. and just started reading. <coughs> and I saw all kinds of crap. Oh, know? yeah. Like I saw people talking about she ran away and she mm -hmm. was this kind of person. And maybe, you know, she. And, and even at that time, I wasn't even thinking in a feminist mindset. Yeah. But I was like, how are people saying this about a young girl, especially? Right. Because, you know, she didn't go home with her parent or she walked home by herself. Or right. Whatever. So I became really critical even at a young, young age. Yeah. And from there, I just kind of, you know, took it with me. And I saw how reporters were acting. And I, to be honest, I hated it. I yeah. hated how sort of vulture-ish they were and how yeah. cruel it was, especially when someone passed away. Absolutely. And um, 
as I went back to school, I, I remember telling one of my teachers, I was like, this is kind of happening in my life right now, and I don't really know what to do. And she's yeah. like, well, why don't you write? Yeah. Like, write about how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like a journal, like a diary? And yeah. She's like, yeah, like, start writing in a diary. And mm-hmm. that's what I did. I right. went home, I started writing, and then I continued writing. And as I got older, I realized that writing was something that I just really loved mm-hmm. to do. Even though I never really wrote an article or anything like that, I just, I knew I loved to write because that was the best way for me to express myself. Right. And, you know, in regards to your friend, um, was she a person of color as well by any chance? No, she was a young white girl. Okay. Um, and honestly, I think I learned later too that because she was, it yeah. became this huge international story. Her name was Holly Jones. Right. Um, and it's been years since she died, but, in a long case too, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was a strange sort of upbringing at that moment of my yeah, life. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, no, they, like you are right. Like the fact that she was white, it did get large coverage. What I was gonna say is, if like she wasn't white, let's say she was just a person of color in general, mm-hmm. for example, like the, that's normally when the narrative is spun. It's like, oh, uh, was probably in a gang or was Islam or something like that. Like you know how they always spin it, especially when it comes to like all these, like, these mass shootings and killings, whatever. Like usually when it's a white person, oh, troubled youth. Had a hard upbringing, had had mental disability issues. You know, he just needed a hug. But then on the flip side of it, if it's someone of color, then it's like, yeah, they're probably in a gang or or something like that. So, like, I'm glad they didn't spin the narrative on that. But at the same time, like, there is somewhat of a, a vulture like asset because everybody wants that lead story first, right? Because if it bleeds, it leads. That's the old saying and such. So I'm sure those reporters in that scenario probably had that mindset, unfortunately. And also, it's any sort of young, tragic death like that, people feed on that, right? Right. And I think I've learned that, you know, in working in this industry now, too. But I remember even years after that, there was a kid in my neighborhood Mm. who got shot. Right. Um, And he was a young black boy who also lived not that far from me. And it was a story, and it was done. Yeah. You know? Right. It's like, we move on. We move on. And I still see that all the time. And I I understand how news works. I understand there's a cycle. Yeah. And there's only so much news you can focus on. But Mm -hmm. I think what we're still kind of missing, especially with news, is this kind of critical look of why things are happening. You know, why things are happening in neighborhoods. Like, if you look at Brampton the last few weeks, there's so much violence. Yeah. I've been seeing that a lot, especially. There's a lot of violence happening right now. And it's, and, and there's still this young man died, unfortunately, a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And they're really, yeah, three people have been charged, but there's still a lot of people who haven't. Exactly. So what's what's happening? There needs to be a little bit more insight. Right, absolutely. And I feel like sometimes people can be very selective with what they cover and what have you. And I feel like, again, like the news cycle, like you just mentioned, it goes around and around. It goes very fast, and I get that. But there has to be some sort of consistency. Like if you're going to give this amount of energy to this particular story – that happens to fall in line with this particular story as well, we need to have that same energy. You can't just give more to this one and less to the other because of, you know, systemic approaches, so to speak. You know what I mean? So I think that's very important for, like, a lot of these, you know, journalistic news sites that that claim to have that integrity to keep that intact. And I think us as a people need to keep need to hold them accountable for that too, if for that's sure. the case. And so does the reader, right? Exactly. So does the viewer and the reader and the listener. It's... Not to say that it's also on you to do that because right. it's our job to sort of do that. But right. for the reader, it's to push these boundaries. And, you know, these days, especially with social media, it's way easier than it used to be. Exactly. And the best example I like to think of is when I was younger, I went to a city TV talk with one of the reporters there. Yeah. And it was a pretty diverse panel. And they were and we the bunch of kids were in the audience and they were talking about Scarborough. Okay. And why Scarborough has always been depicted. This was like, you know. 10, 15 years ago. Right. Why is Scarborough always depicted as this very violent part of the city? Yeah. Right? And 
the reporters there had nothing to say. Right. Like they they had nothing to say. And they're yeah. like, okay, well, when a crime happens, it just happens to be in Scarborough. Yeah. And then my teacher who took us to this talk and she's like, what was your like what was your takeaway from that? Yeah. And I was like, I I guess crime. And even at that time, I was like, I guess crime is happening in Scarborough, so they have yeah. to cover it. And they're like, no. When they keep covering crime in Scarborough, Scarborough looks a certain way. Exactly. So now when people say I'm from Scarborough, it's like, oh well, you know, <laughs> Scarborough's a little scary. Yeah. But even something like that, it forms public opinion. It does. And I think that's the po- such a scary and powerful thing about journalism yeah. is that you can convince people to believe in things. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like media constructs reality. Like that's like one of the basic principles of media coverage. And also, if you say something so many times, and people are eventually gonna believe it. This is why people for the longest time believed that, little, for example, Lil Wayne was the best rapper alive because he said it so much in the songs. And the moment he had a hotline, it was like, oh my God, he's right. He is. Oh. So it's the same thing in the news and media as well. It's all about you know. There's a certain aspect of like manipulation to it as well, and like that's why you have like a lot of these like these you know propaganda stations like Fox News, for example, that just spew out like the most ignorant type of like rhetoric that it's even imaginable. Even it's the same. But speaking of news outlets, um, you you start off at Huffington Post. Uh, so what was that experience like for you over there? Huffington Post was great. It was uh, diverse. It was young. It yeah. was fresh, and it was very experimental, which I loved. Right. Um, I think I got to work on some great projects when I was there. Met some really cool people, mm-hmm. and I think the one thing I liked about HuffPost was it wasn't afraid to say things yeah. in a very sort of narrative, like fun kind of tongue in cheek way. In a sense, very tongue in cheek. Like I, I didn't feel like I was a serious reporter at yeah. HuffPost, even though I was a reporter. Yeah. I felt like I could be myself and talk about a lot of the issues that meant a lot to me. And for me, that was being being South Asian, mm-hmm. you know, talking about things like race and talking about weight and mm-hmm. talking about sexism and feminism mm-hmm. and racism right. and from that angle. And I was allowed to do that, which is great. Right. And, you know, right before I left, I got to do a whole series about being an immigrant. Right. Um, a child of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not an immigrant. Yeah. Um, and it was, like, great. It was great feedback. And right. it was great to see the team <laughs> get together and work together. Mm-hmm. So let's get into that, actually. Cause that's that's going to be one of my questions for you. So you started a series called Born and Raised and basically detailing the, the – uh, the life of somebody who was um, someone who was first generation Canadian in a sense. So someone who had an, uh, a parent who was of immigrant descent essentially. So I have that same upbringing as well. My, my dad was born in Ghana. My mother was born in Nigeria and I'm first generation Canadian. I'm the first person in my family born in Canada. My brothers and sisters, they're born in the UK. So they're first generation, but, but UK based. Um, for you personally, what was your upbringing like being the first gen Canadian in the family? It was a fun roller coaster. <laughs> it still is. Right. Uh, my parents are both from India. You know, they came here not so young, maybe like in their teens. And mm-hmm. but when my parents came here, they just started working. Yeah. So they didn't go to school. They just right. went straight to work because they thought that this was what you had to do. Yeah. So I think that was a huge part of my upbringing because a lot of my parents' values and parenting styles was very Indian, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a really strict household. I yeah. wasn't allowed to do a lot of things and they would question where I was going or right. it was just a very, I was a very stereotypical Indian girl growing right. up. <laughs> but I think as I grew older and I didn't have a lot of resentment or I didn't rebel or anything, but I learned why mm-hmm. they had these sort of barriers and it's, you know, they came here, they didn't know English. Right. They learned English on their own. Yeah. They learn like the system on their own. They learn mm-hmm. how to save and buy a, a house and get yeah. a job. And that to me is just, it blows my mind still because yeah. I think of me in, in, in an adult situation. I'm like, I can't do what my parents are doing. Right, right. Like that's a lot to deal with. Um, would you say that you caught resistance 
uh, like social resistance, I should say, from people in your community who were actually born and raised within India, and then they confront you, and then the moment they find out that you're born in Canada, they have like a second opinion about you in a sense? Not really here. I think a lot of the Indians and South Asians I know here, they're all sort of in the same boat as me. Our parents are all immigrants. Okay. But I know when I went to India, and I used to go to India a lot when I was younger with my parents, and yeah. there's this whole mindset where like, oh, well, you probably don't eat Indian food, and you know, right. you probably don't speak the language, and you probably don't do this, or you do that, or do you even know what this is? Yeah. But I was at least grateful that my because of my very, quote-unquote, Indian upbringing, yeah. I had access to all those things. So right. like, I knew the language, I knew the food, yeah. and you know, I, that's probably the gr- biggest thing I'm grateful for because mm-hmm. if I did that on my own, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right, right. And it's funny because like for me, and like I know a lot of the – a lot of Africans like who kind of can speak from where I'm speaking from as well. Like, because I was born and raised in Canada, like, so outside of Africa, like a lot of people who were born in the African diaspora, they do meet some resistance from people of immediate African descent, basically. And it's funny because uh, I remember I was watching Black Panther with my dad. And one of the main topics of that film was black identity, basically. So, you know, who you are as an African, you know, born in the continent versus someone born outside of the continent and whether or not you gain acceptance. And for me, there have been times where I haven't gotten acceptance from, from people who are continentally born in Africa. So whenever I say I'm half Ghanaian and half Nigerian, they'll be like, Oh, okay. Okay. When did you come to Canada? It's like, Oh no, I was born and raised here. It's like, Oh, you're, you're, you're not really African. Like you are, but like, not really. And it's just like, like, really? Like, we're still doing this even in, like, 2018? Like, I even had someone say that to me maybe, like, not long ago, maybe, like, a couple weeks ago. I was like, guys, like, what are we doing, man? Like, like why are we so backwards with, with that logic? And, like, my thing is, you know, you're here as well as I am. And if you're kind of questioning me on my African legitimacy, so to speak, then why are you here? Because aren't you here to take advantage of this, of the opportunities that come with being in North America? So if you feel that strongly about me not really being African, then you being more African than me, why aren't you back there? <laughs> it's so funny because when I have these conversations now as an adult, yeah. when I was young, I hated being Indian. If you were to call me Indian, I'd yeah. be like, I'm not Indian, I'm Canadian. Oh, really? Like I was so, yeah. Like I think at a young age, like I didn't grow up a lo- around a lot of South Asians. I grew up in a Portuguese neighborhood. Okay. And so I was surrounded by white people all the time. Yeah. And at that time, I was the only Indian and I did not want to be Indian. I didn't want to associate myself right. with my culture and I was embarrassed. And as I grew up, I learned how sad that was at yeah. that time. Yeah. My culture is pretty kick-ass. Oh, yeah, of course. But now, looking back, I was like, I was embarrassed. I didn't want that part of my identity. And anywhere I would go, I would just say, no, I'm Canadian. Yeah. Like, this is what Canadian looks like. Get uh-huh. used to it. Right. I know you don't, I know you, I don't look Canadian, yeah. quote, unquote, but I'm Canadian. And now that I'm older, like, I love telling people I'm Indian. Right. And I, you know, you get where are you from all the time. Oh, yeah. All the time, like, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm from Toronto. I'm born in Toronto. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Where are you really from? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That's a <laughs> classic it, one. And it's like, well, my parents are from India, so I guess I'm Indian. Like, yeah. I, I definitely identify now as an Indian. Yeah. But I think my, and obviously a Canadian, but I think right. my whole life, I hated that title. Right. And you know what? And, and it really does have to do with, like, upbringing in terms of, like, your, your community, basically. Because I'm similar to you. Like, I grew up in, like, mostly white areas. Like, I... I didn't have my first black friend until I was 12 years old. Like that, like I, I lived the life of the token black guy essentially. I think for me, like I didn't have any, I didn't have any shame in 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 being African or telling people I was African because at the end of the day, I look different from everyone else. Like clearly, right? So it's just like, I'm like, there's no, way I'm gonna deny it. Like, I, like you may as well just roll with it. You know what I mean? Like that was just my mentality, but I didn't really care though. I like it's it's only it only became interesting to me 
when I came into came across people of, of my specific background or whatever, I would tell them that I was born here, but my parents were from here and here or whatever. And sometimes they'd be like, oh, okay, okay, cool, cool, cool. Other times they'd be like, uh, whatever, right? So I feel like nowadays, like going forward, like right now, fast forward to right now, like I'm still just accepting of my heritage, if not more accepting because like I know the struggle. I know what we've been through as a people and what have I. I know what we had to do to get here and, and to this position essentially. So it just brings that much more pride in accepting it. And I feel like a lot more people are learning about, you know, the countries that I'm from in particular, because anytime you see a black person, it's like, oh, Jamaican, hey, walk on, buddy. Yeah, Irie. You know what I mean? It's like, we're not all from Jamaica, right? And it's just like, it's like not all people of Southeast Asian descent are from India. Like, it, it, it's, it's very vast. It's very vast, right? Yeah. They're not all from Sri Lanka. They're not all from Afghanistan, et cetera, et cetera. It's and just even uh, India yeah. is so diverse. Like mm-hmm. you can be like Sikh, you can be Tamil, yeah, you can be Muslim, you can be Catholic, you can be anything. You guys have like, like a, a buffet of cultures that you can just dive into. Like I'm almost jealous of that. <laughs> so I hear a lot of people like, oh well, you know, I love Indian food, and you hear that a lot about Indian food. I'm right. Like, well, what kind of Indian food? There's like samosa. Food. There's like like Southern food. Yeah. There's, I'm Gujarati. There's Gujarati food. Yeah. Not that many people know about Gujarati food, but. There's like a whole mix of culture, and right. it's you know one day. One day, <laughs> one day we'll one get day. to the promised land. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's keep it moving. Um, so you did mention this actually earlier. You mentioned that you have a campaign called Didi Hood. Uh, so give us some more uh, background on that. What's that about? Yeah, I'm super excited about Didi Hood. So Didi Hood means sisterhood. Okay. Didi is usually sister in a couple of different South Asian languages. Right. And what we are is a collective of South Asian women who work in media, creative, mm. art industries, basically all the jobs that your parents told you not to do right <laughs> you are going to be a lawyer when you grow up oh i tell you right now my friend <laughs> yeah I, like maybe five years ago my uncle stopped asking me if i was going into med school I was yeah like, i i have a career now i know yeah it's I, like i'm, I'm good <laughs> but um yeah it's been it's been really cool and really organic to see just you know young south asian women kind of get together we had our first little meetup we're having a launch party on april 19th hey. Hey, <laughs> um if anyone's interested hit me up but honestly it's just a collective getting women together who are right. like-minded work in the same industries you know build friendships everyone knows how hard it is to mm-hmm. have adult friendships that are lasting yeah <laughs> uh, and also makes it easier to have adult friendships mm-hmm. and just network and connect because nothing like this really exists in our city yeah and there's so much talent there's so much south asian talent right. in this city so why not have a space where you know you're comfortable and you could talk to anyone absolutely that sounds absolutely dope right that's something that i feel like a lot of people would want to circle on the calendar especially if they're trying to get into those fields as well so yeah and that's the biggest thing i think our biggest sort of mission or takeaway is that we want to inspire the next generation of young south asians to Mm -hmm. do more creative and media type roles because you know when i was young i didn't really have anyone to look up to yeah but now there's like a roster of us you you can work all over the place you can work anywhere you want and you know, sometimes it's that conversation you have with your parents. Exactly. Kind of working around that. Exactly, exactly. So speaking of the next generation, you know, when it's all said and done for you, you, you you're signing to retire, you want to hang your jersey up on the rafter, so to speak. What do you want someone to tell other people of your story? What would you want them to say? Oh, that's hard. I can't even think of the next five years. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like working in the media has so many changes. Yeah. And it's been good for me so far. And I'm, right. I'm lucky that I work in digital because, I mean, that's where the news is right that's now. That's where it is. That's where, where it is. is. Streaming. But, but 
I don't know. I I want to make some kind of an impact, and I mm-hmm. I really want to end my career. I think teaching, right? Just to give back and mm-hmm. give back my skill set because what more can I do besides write every day or talk or whatever? Yeah. But I think I would really love to leave something behind, but that's hard. I don't know. Maybe I'll leave journalism. No, just joking. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I think. I think I'm going to stay in this industry for a very long time. I think so, too, with all the content you're putting out, something like DD Hood as well that, that's created from, like, your own construct. I mean, I don't see why you would – if anything, you choose what you want to leave. That's what I would think, you know, just based on our conversations that we've had in the past and up until now thus far. So. And the thing with DD Hood, too, is my three, two, three of us started it. Yeah. And it was an idea that we sat on for six years. Oh, okay. We did it while we were in school. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe it should be a podcast. Maybe it should be a website. Maybe right. Maybe it should be a content, like, magazine. Yeah. And I think I went to a panel last year about um, just about your career and moving forward and, like, why people are so stuck on things. Mm-hmm. And I heard it and I went home and I texted these girls. I'm like, guys, we're launching this, like now yeah like we're doing this now so sometimes you just need like a little push exactly you know, it's either now or never great ideas mm-hmm. just get them out there exactly it's all about being a creative nowadays so speaking of creative we're gonna get into the next portion of this interview or this discussion rather and it's the games portion of the interview so basically i got two games so the first one is entitled cool or uncool but because you're such an avid raptors fan hashtag we the north i call this cool or uncool the We The North edition. So let's get into it, and it goes a little something like this. Yeah. So I got the stylistic sounds of Diggable Planets with their record Return of the Cool from their 1995 album. Now, this is how the game works. I'm going to give you a list of scenarios, and you're going to tell me whether they're cool or they're uncool. Now, once again, this is the We The North edition, so they will all be Raptor-based, and we're about to get into it. So, are you cool with that? I'm cool. All right, let's get it. So, first topic on the deck. Let's just get an easy one out of the way. The Toronto Raptors franchise, cool or uncool? Obviously. Obviously, obviously. We just want to get that. Way too easy. That's light work. Shout out to Masai. Shout out to, yo, that's my guy right there. That's my guy right there. Masai Ujiri, a.k.a. Masai Ujiri. Proud Nigel boy. Oh, we we are here. Hey. But nonetheless, that's my guy. Like, one of my favorite Raptors of all time. He's not even a player. Um, The chances of reaching 60 wins this year, cool or uncool? Very cool. Very cool. You think they can win the rest of the way out? Yeah, because so. right now they're they have 22 losses, so another loss would mean that they can only win as high as 59. So right now I think they're playing against the Pacers like we were, like we were watching before the show. Oh, okay then. What how, what quarter? What quarter? It's, it's the third. Just oh no, it's the third. Third quarter? Like, just started the third quarter? Uh, four minutes left. Okay. Yeah, we're blessed. I think we're good. We're good for tonight. We're good. Um, let's see here. The chances of the Raptors sweeping a team in the first round this year. Cool. I'm going to say cool. Really? Because this has been a really good year to watch basketball. It has, yes. And I don't know. I'm feeling a little different this year. People are kind of, we're talking a little bit the last few days, you know, after seeing the Cavs game. Yeah. And it's been I'll, a little shaky. Just a little shaky. You know what? It's okay. Yeah. Kyle Lowry, maybe had a little bit too much fun maybe maybe during college basketball but he's back he's back and he, let, let these guys play well, let them deliver i agree i agree um let's see here the bench mob cool or uncool uh, coolest coolest let okay me just say the bench mob is over the start of this year, and i'm a big tomorrow right man. right but seeing those boys play this year has they go to been work absolutely Red, 
Right? And it just goes to show how important a developmental system within the G League is important to your team because of the fact that these guys have been playing together on that G League squad for like the last two years, basically, outside of CJ Miles. And, but they just have that synergy with one another, and they're young, they're spry, they love to get up and down, they play D. Like, their minds are a lot more malleable, so it's easy for them to conform to a new style. Whereas the starters, they're 25 plus, been in the league for at least five years. They're kind of. They may be stuck in their ways a little bit here and there, but eventually they get the hang of it because they are the leaders. So And just seeing how they work together. Yes. I think that's probably the biggest improvements. Like you've seen with the starters, they pass the ball and right. they're, more, they're more willing to sit out and let these guys take over and play. Absolutely. Which has been great. And I love every moment of it. Um hmm, let's see here. Facing the Bucks potentially in the first round. Cool or uncool. I'm gonna say uncool, not okay. because you can't it, right. But you remember how last year went? I remember that, and yeah. Yeah. And I don't like that. Right. But it might happen at this rate. It could. I mean, mind you, I'm not I'm not scared of the Bucks. I feel like the Bucks are kind of overrated because everyone keeps talking Yance and Tanjakupo, which they rightfully should because I've never seen anything like him before. But if you really look at it, they're a team who are just long and athletic and they like to run. They don't really have a particular style. They don't really have like a lot of sharpshooters on their squad. And they don't have anyone who plays a specific position outside of Eric Bledsoe. Everyone's like, okay, well, I'm a three and a four and a five. And like, it makes you lose a sense of identity in a sense. So you don't really know how to play. You're versatile, but when it really comes down to it, like what move are you gonna make if possible? Not to mention, they don't have Jason Kidd anymore as their coach, so that area's been in disarray and what have you. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a cool event. Ah, you know what? It could be. It could be. It could be. It could be. I would like to see the play of the Heat, maybe even the Wizards, because I hate the Wizards. I want to see the and Wizards. And I want too. them to slap them yeah. so that people can shut up about the Wizards. You know I what agree. I mean? I agree. One more before we go to the next game. Um, their chances of reaching the finals this year. Cool Ooh, or uncool? Okay. From a outsider Toronto perspective on yeah. you, I'm going to say cool, 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 cool. Right. Because that's what we all want to see. Of course, of course. But from a personal point of view, I have a very strict jinx policy. So oh, okay, I'm gonna okay. I'm going to be like, yeah, cool, obviously cool. Right. Imagine we win. Huh. Imagine this like young street and like, oh. or like right on Bremner in front of the ACC. Listen, I'm calling like, work. I'm like, yo, I'm not going to be in for the next week. I'm taking the week off too. Yeah. I, I don't even know what to do with myself. I, I need like five days to just think about what to do. Right. And then actually celebrate. Exactly. And like, if there's a parade. I'll oh, like, this would equal my Black Panther hype basically. <laughs> there's but, a parade of Messiah in the front. I know, right? Breakers in the back. And it's <laughs> yo, just, yeah, the streets are shut down. It's going to be crazy. Like if that happens, as long as they can get past LeBron James, if they cross paths, then I think it's cool. If if they have to cross LeBron James, I don't know. I don't know because like I'm not I'm not I'm not losing faith in the Raptors. It's just that LeBron man like the man's been to the final seven years in a row. He is the greatest player of the current time. I think so. And he's top five all time in my books. I'll say that. Yeah, and watch. I mean, as much as people love to hate LeBron, I don't hate LeBron. I actually enjoy watching him play because he's very good right. at the game. Absolutely, it's hard to hate him. But you know what? I think as a team, yeah, we got we got something. I think we do too. Let's just pray and see. Yeah, let's just keep praying. <laughs> I know, right? Now let's get on to the next game. This is a, a personal favorite game of mine, um, and I like to call this one "I'd Quit the Game," and it goes a little something like this. Every second, every minute, man, I swear that she can get it. Now, in this alternate universe, you are the eligible bachelorette, so you are wheeling Hello. dealing. Hello, fellas. Right? <laughs> Wheeling, dealing, kiss stealing, jet flying, limousine riding, all that good stuff. 
But there comes a point in time in everyone's life where they got to quit the game. They got to settle down, have the spouse, have some kids with move into the white home with the white picket fence, with the tire swing and the apple pie cool on the windowsill, with the Spud McKenzie looking dog. If you had to quit the game for one of these two gentlemen that I have handpicked, who would it be? Now, I'm not even going to say the actual names of these particular people. I'm going to I'm going to say the names of the particular characters that they played based on the movie that they were just in. Okay. And I'm talking about Black Panther. So, well, you got to do me like that. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> would you quit the game for T'Challa or would you quit the game for Killmonger? That's the hardest question. I know, I know. That's a hard cuz like I think of T'Challa, I think of royalty mm-hmm. and I think of Wakanda mm-hmm. and I think of family mm-hmm. and values yes. and the body <laughs> fair fair <laughs> ooh that's hard but you know what I'm, ooh. Gonna, I'm gonna have to go with my boy with, with Killmonger Michael B. Jordan I like how you say Michael B. Jordan check it out there Michael B. Jordan if you're here yeah I know right you know what watching him in that movie was amazing watching both of them in that yeah, movie yeah. was amazing but oh, that with, I'm not gonna say anything, but the thing with I mean, who hasn't watched? Okay, Black you know, no, I, I, I already Sorry. did a spoiler review on okay. here weeks ago, so please speak who, your piece. Who has not watched Black Panther? But that end, that final scene, uh, no longer, it killed me. Buried me in the ocean with but the rest of my ancestors. Super emotional. Uh huh. Super emotional, and like I think all of us in the audience were just like, oh god. But you know what? I have to say the best part of that movie was the opening when he was in the gallery. Yeah. And, oh yeah. And, and, and I, I, I looked at him at once. And that was it. Yeah, that was it. I just love the way he was spitting facts at that uh, museum curator. Oh, oh, yeah. He's like, "How much your answers pay for these?" I'm like, yeah. "Yo, tell him, yeah. tell him!" <laughs> yeah, the whole audience was screaming. Trust me, like, this is. I think I went to the blackest audience when I when I went, man, because like, everyone was like, "Ah!" Yeah. I was like, I was, I was contributing to that. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, we will talk more about Black Panther in the next segment. But before we get to that next segment, ladies and gentlemen, I still have the lovely and talented Artie Patel in studio. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, we will get into some Black Panther news. So with that said, let's usher it in with a song from the number one charting Black Panther soundtrack. Let's get into this record right now, which is arguably my favorite record on the, on the entire album. Uh, Kendrick Lamar featuring SZA, and that is All the Stars. And we'll be right back after these messages. Yeah. Cool. Welcome back to the show, cool cats and cool kittens. It is your man, DM Cool. And welcome back to Cool Radio. I still have Artie Patel in studio. Say what's up to the people. Hello. Yes, yes. What's up? And we're about to get into it right now, man. We're about to get into what we call Trip Talks. That's three topics, three of the hottest topics that happened within pop culture this week. And with that being said, we're going to get to some Black Panther talk because we kind of alluded to that before the commercial break. By the way, you were listening to Kendrick Lamar featuring SZA, all the stars off the Black Panther soundtrack. And I'm still saying it to this day until January 31st of this year till 11.59 p.m. That song has the best video of the year. I've never seen anything like it. I've watched that music video on repeat. I don't even care for music videos anymore. And that thing to me, oh, my God, that gave me the feels. That is art. It is art in the high. mm, Don't get me started. Okay, we're going to get started on this topic right now. (laughs) Yes, okay. So in regards to Black Panther, it is still making records in the box office. It is now the third highest grossing film in the U.S. domestically of all time and not only that but it is the ninth highest grossing film 
worldwide of all time. However, overall, it is the highest growing superhero movie domestically in the U.S. of all time. And it is the third highest grossing superhero movie worldwide of all time, but still the highest grossing solo superhero movie of all time. Um, what do you think about these records that's breaking right now? <laughs> Much deserved. Right? Much deserved. And honestly, this is I think this is going to be a moment in history for pop culture and just yes. entertainment that... You give what the audience wants, yes, and the audience will consume it. Yes, the audience will consume the crap out of it. Yes, they'll go watch it five times. Absolutely, they're gonna buy the DVD. Talk to they're them. They're gonna buy the soundtrack. They will. They're gonna do everything. Talk they're about gonna it. They're gonna buy the merch. Get them because <laughs> this is what the audience has been waiting for for so long. Right? Why did it take us this long? It, it should have taken us this long, but I'm glad that it came out like this after waiting for so long. Like, we got what we were looking for all these years. And the thing for me, and I'm sure not just black people, but people of color can relate to this, they want to see a superhero, like, as far as this genre is concerned, they want to see a superhero that looks like them, has their mannerisms, and it upholds himself in a certain manner that I make them proud to be of that culture, of that community. Because for the longest time, me growing up as a superhero fan, I never really had any superheroes that looked like me growing up. Of course, I still liked Batman and Spider-Man, but I always have to envision myself in an alternate reality where they looked my, uh, like me, essentially. But now that I actually have this on screen, you know, not just for myself, but like for all the shorties growing up too, like they got a superhero that they can be like, yo, I'm Black Panther, or no, I'm Shuri, I'm Okoye, yo, I'm Killmonger. Like they like can you have more than one option. Exactly, and I feel like with this movie, it'll encourage studios going forward to look up other heroes or other characters and have their stories being told. Like not just within the Black community, for example. Like I want to see, like in the next phase of Marvel movies, for example, I want to see a Miss Marvel movie with Kamala Khan, for example, who's of of uh, Middle Eastern descent. I want to see a movie with, let's say. Um, what's another character? There's another character named Elijah Wood who's like the next Captain America in a sense, but like he was one of the ones that survived that super soldier serum. I want to see someone bring that character to life, for example. I want to see... Like, I want to see so many different stories. You know what I mean? I'm still waiting for Idris Elba to become Bond. <laughs> that movie should still happen. It should still happen. I think it should. I know the author of the uh, the of the of 007 series said, oh, yeah. he's too edgy or too street or whatever. But, like, bro, you don't know what you're talking about, Have man. you, like, no. I'm not going to even talk about him. Yeah, he's... I can talk about him for hours. Right, right. But, yeah, this is... Honestly, I have to say, I watched that film, and I mean, I was so hyped about it. I, I like bought the ticket in advance, like, yeah. the soundtrack, and I'm super excited. And I, I, I loved it, and I love the characters, I love the music, and mm-hmm. I think, and it was a great superhero movie. Absolutely, you know, I didn't go into it with all these expectations. Like, right, it, it, it is what it is. It's right. a great superhero movie. Right, but I think my favorite part was I saw this little family, and they were all dressed up in like yeah. photos outside, and yeah. I almost cried yeah because that moment Mm -hmm. this is what it's about it's it's not about you know how great everyone looks and the story and whatever like great sure that's great that's cool yeah but like the the way that it hits people of color Mm -hmm. it like you cannot replace that with you can't not at all it's priceless because at the end of the day unfortunately there's some white people who don't understand that concept but they don't understand that concept because of the privilege that they've had over the years of seeing movies where 90 percent of the cast looks like them so for them it's just a tuesday but for us it was more than a movie. It was an event. Like it was an event where we could actually celebrate 
African culture and celebrate the fact that we're not being stereotyped. We're not depicted as slaves or as baby mamas or as crack dealers or anything like that. We can celebrate our pride our proud African heritage, whether we're of that de- immediate descent or not. Like this, these are, this is where we came from. And we're talking about a nation that had never been colonized or had never been pillaged by European imperialism or anything in the store. They had their own religion. You know what I mean? We weren't forced to, le- to learn Christianity or Islam not under our accord. We had our own our own principles, our own laws, our own morals and beliefs and what have you. And we were and it was showing that we weren't all homogenous. We all had different ideologies and different perspectives. Some of us were staunch traditionalists, some of us were more free spirited. But at the end of the day, we showed that, you know, people of color in general just aren't one thing because of their stereotype. We have different thought processes and belief systems. And that we got almost all of that in that movie. So imagine what can happen in another movie where it's actually centered around politics or religion. That was centered around a superhero. We just added that other stuff to bring more context and complexity to the superhero narrative to show that it doesn't have to go by the same script. So I thought that was amazing for the film, and I think that's the reason why so many people are, are still continuing to see it, whether it's for the first time or for the fifth time, because it's just one of those things that we don't know the next time when we're going to get something like that again. Yeah, and they're taking you know their parents to see it, yeah. they're taking their family members, yeah. and it's it's not just, and I think that's one of the topics that you know people love to say, especially on social media. Oh, it's just a movie. I know. It's not. It's not just a movie. Like th- what this does for people, especially the black community. Yeah. You you can't compare this to anything you else. You can't. This is this is historic. Yeah. And you know what? I'm glad I'm here for the ride. I'm <laughs> glad we're in this era where yep. we get to watch this film and Talk about watch. And, you know, I told you, buy the merch, this is a soundtrack, do everything. Trust me, talk about it. I mean, I've been waiting for this for, like, ye- like literally, like, like yes, my whole life, technically, but, like, literally, like, went, like, I've been waiting for this for, this for years, because I remember when they first announced Black Panther was going to be a movie, and, like, they announced a whole bunch of other slated movies within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm just like, I'm excited, but let me reserve it. I need to see some more. And then they mentioned Chadwick Boseman was going to play the role. I'm like, Okay. Okay, okay, like I'm excited, but yeah. let me just tone it down a little bit. Yeah. And then the, the the trailer for Civil War came out and I saw Black Panther looking all regal in that suit and kicking ass and all that. I'm like, okay, now I'm hype. Now I'm hype. All right, all the cards are out. You guys got me. No more poker face. I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm more excited to see Avengers, the new one, just because the Black Panther cast I know, right? It again. And you know what? I think that's another reason why the movie's doing so well because they know that Infinity War is the next movie coming up oh, yeah. and they feel like they gotta watch this one in order to know what's happening. Yeah. And at the same time, I feel like Marvel is riding the wave of Black Panther right now because they didn't expect it to do this well. I don't think so. I, I didn't expect it either. This is just a bonus for me at this point. It's a victory lap, and I'm loving every single minute of it. And <laughs> it's funny because I remember earlier this week, I read that it passed, that it went to number three all time, uh, passing Titanic, Titanic. And I was just like, man, Titanic, you better let go of that record like Jack. <laughs> Honestly, I don't even know how Titanic has been on that list for that long. Yeah. It was a great movie, but that was years ago. Yeah, like 20 years ago plus. Like 20 years ago. I'm shocked that in this time period, yeah. nothing has been able to beat that right. yet. So, you know what? I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready, too. My body is ready. (laughs) 
But ladies and gentlemen, watching at home or listening at home, what do you think about the records that Black Panther has broken? Do you think he can break more? Do you think he can be number one? Do you think he can break a record that we're not even aware of yet? Hit us up on Twitter or on any social media platform that the show is on, at Cool Radio CC, and share your thoughts. Now, on the next topic, this one's a little grim, but we definitely got to talk about it nonetheless. So this one has to do with the rapper Fabulous. Now, he's been in the news for the wrong reasons. So it was first reported that he assaulted his wife, who goes by the name of Emily B., who is a co-star on Love & Hip Hop, which is a very terrible show, by the way. Um, but basically, he was in the news because um, she, it was alleged that he had assaulted her wife and to the point where he punched her in the mouth about seven times and almost like kind of loosening her teeth. So she had to get them removed. So that's, that was a report that was put out. Um, so it was kind of alleged at that point because we didn't see any photos or anything like that. So the, all the details were pretty slim at that point. But then there was a video that followed with that, not a video of that particular incident, but a video of her and Fab in front of their home with Emily's father outside trying to attack Fabulous based on what's been happening recently. And so basically Fabulous is in the video while and now he's just going crazy. He has a pair of scissors in his hand pointing it in the direction of Emily's father and they're they're just making threats towards each other back and forth. He's saying, oh, uh, the father's saying, oh, you're a coward, you're a coward, man up, da, 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 this and that. And then Fabulous is saying, yo, I got a bullet with your name on it. And I'm just like, oh, Fab, no, no. And then he, whenever he would direct his attention to Emily B, he like whenever he kind of pointed at her, she would run and cry almost as if she knew what was about to happen or at least had a feeling of what was about to happen. So it almost made me believe that, okay, Maybe there is some history of domestic violence between these two, if that's the case. And in the video, you can hear like an infant crying of some sort. So I'm assuming it's one of their kids or whatever. But yeah, I'm looking at this video. I'm like, and I don't want to be the one to jump on something the minute I hear something. Like, I want to know more context behind it. But after this video, I got to say, like, pure objectivity, it's not looking good for Fab right now. Um, Artie, did you hear about the story beforehand or no? I did. I did read a little bit about it, but I didn't know about the second video. Right, right. So, yeah, that video, yeah, it came out earlier this week, actually. I think TMZ released it. And I think the reason why um, her dad was there, her dad and her brother, I think, um, basically they wanted to come into the home so that they could remove all the weapons in his home. Because he has he has, uh, he has, has firearms in his home, but, like, licensed firearms, basically. But she thought, she felt so in fear of her safety that maybe one day, he was going to use one of those guns on her at, at, to some capacity. So he called them over to, to take them out. And then Fab came later on, I guess. And then that's when, I guess, the whole altercation, the verbal altercation ensued. Um, but, yeah, he turned himself into police, like, before that moment, I believe. Or was it? I think it was after that moment, actually. Because the based on that video, he was arrested for... Uh, terroristic threats with the whole bullet and whatever, and then aggravated assault because of the uh, the punching or what have you. Yeah, and the scissors as well. So um, yeah, it's it's not looking good for Fab right now. And like I feel like someone of his stature, you know, especially someone who's made music about celebrating women and uplifting women as well, you wouldn't expect that. But that's kind of the difference between real life and rap in the sense, you know, when it comes down to it. Yeah, I think a lot of rap is art, and I think mm -hmm. sometimes we forget, a lot of us forget because we live in this illusion of, like, how we love our favorite artists. Yeah. And if this year has showed, or last year has showed us anything, is that a lot of people we like mm -hmm. do really mess up things. Yeah. And mess up things that they should be held accountable for. Right. And even if it's our favorite athletes or rappers yeah. or, you know, filmmakers or whatever, uh -huh. people, it's, you know what, it's, 
I feel like that's the one good thing about social media right now is that we're seeing this, yeah. we're accessing this, because for a lot of, especially for assault cases and sexual assault, mm-hmm. you don't see or hear anything. Nope. And think about all the years that we've grown up listening to our favorite artists. Yeah. You know, you don't know anything that's happening. Well, you know, when I think of Cosby, right. everyone <laughs> watched that show. Yeah. You know, like everyone was in love with that show and that character and that mm-hmm. father figure. And when these allegations came out, no one believed it even. Right. Maybe 30, you know, 30 allegations later, okay. Yeah, it's like, okay, this something is, must have this happened. This is sinking in. Yeah. This is not just a bunch of random people who need money or fame at this point. Right. There's, it's so late. Into yeah, it's way outside career. the statutes of limitations at that point. And it's just, it's, you know, I think as the public and as consumers, we have to wake up a little. We do, yeah. And we definitely have to wake up. Now, as a consumer, it's up to you whether you want to support that person's art or not. It's totally up to you. I don't think anyone should hold some sort of moral compass over anyone if they still want to support that artist because there are some people who look at an artist as just an artist, basically. They look at them the artist rather than the person because there are some people who will go say, oh, he's a terrible rapper because he beats women. It's like, it doesn't make you a terrible artist. It just means that you don't agree with how they live their life, essentially, which is totally fine. But I don't think you should trash their art because of it. Like, for example, let's say R. Kelly, for example. R. Kelly is easily the greatest R&B singer of the 90s, and he carried that into the 2000s, in my personal opinion. Overall, one of the greatest singers of all time. Yes, he did pee on that girl, I personally believe, because the video was there. And he did a lot of things. He did a lot of things. I mean, he tried to marry Aaliyah back in the 90s when she was 14, all that stuff. So that history has been there. But no one can deny this man's level of talents. And you know what? I think that's the thing, too. Like, you think, especially with the artists that we grew up and we listened to, I think, especially for me now, I find myself, I don't think I would have been bothered by it so much yeah. maybe seven years, eight years ago. But yeah. I think now I am. Right. And I always, and when, you know, when all this Me Too movement was happening and, you know, you hear about all these artists, like, everyone knows I love Drake. Yeah. And I've said, if anything ever comes out on Drake, yeah. I'm going to have to stop listening to Drake. Right. And that's sucks yeah because i love this artist yeah but i know i i think i love humans more you know i think i love especially women i think i, I think right, of I, course the struggle is just crap yeah. and when i you know i even think about chris brown because that has a huge following yeah so, yeah like the music industry isn't stopping for him and i think for a lot of men especially mm-hmm. you know this is very common mm-hmm. and it you is look yeah at people like kesha and their oh are, that was a terrible situation you know, like their careers are so different right so I don't know. I think it, it is definitely up to the person to make that decision, and right. it's 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 your own kind of game. And you know, if you don't like that artist anymore, just you just don't listen to their music. Exactly, and that's it. You move on. Right. And if you want to, then I mean, that's on you. Right. <laughs> and in regards to the to the to the Me Too movement and what have you, I feel like it's important that a movement like that is out there. But I also feel that it's important that the stories that are being told by by these women who choose to disclose that information is totally fine. I just wish that there was a filter on the people who are trying to get in on it when their narrative doesn't really fit the seriousness of the narratives that are actually being told that should be listened to. Because once you get a not necessarily a false narrative, but something that isn't as serious or as detrimental, then some people will, will not take it as seriously anymore. Yeah, like I think of, you know, especially with sexual assault, there was a story in like Rolling Stone a few years ago that turned out to be false. Yeah. And it was a sexual assault story with a frat. Mm-hmm. And... Not that it would, I don't think it took away from anything because people still know how these colleges and universities are. Of course. But it was a time where I think for a lot of people who aren't familiar with these topics or have experiences in them, it made them question how authentic they were. Yeah. And when you start thinking like that and you hear about something like Cosby or you hear about 
whoever, mm-hmm. you start thinking in your head, well, you know, is this really true? And I mean, I've written about sexual assault and mm-hmm. I write about this a lot. And I think and I get readers all the time who are like, you know, whatever, like this is not right. a thing and whatever, get over it. And right. That's part of the struggle. The part of the struggle is getting people to actually tell yes. the stories. We're in a moment where women are so much more confident about it. Yeah. And men as well. Because years ago, this would not be a topic. Definitely not. You think Terry Crews is going to come out and talk about yeah. the Never. And you would think Terry Crews, big six foot five black guy hulking muscles on yeah. muscles. And talking about that, like that's big on him. Like I give him credit for that. Sure, and you know, while we're kind of talking about this right now, actually, in, re- in kind of in regards to fabulous and what have you, I'm going to the NZs and Sorry story that happened a few months back. What was your take on that initially oh, when, when you when you we saw like all the headlines and then just reading the stories? All like, what was your overall review of that? So I think with that st- that story really hit me. Right. I don't know if it's just because Aziz is brown. Uh-huh. Um, but honestly, Aziz, like I, I really valued his show. I loved the work that he was doing. You know, I had I had criticisms like anybody else. Yeah. But that story just hit my gut, and I think mm-hmm. what really hit me, I, I, it wasn't so much how Babe.net reported it because I think they were kind of all over the place and it kind of backfired on them. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, especially like a lot of older generation, like female writers, they supported Aziz yeah. in this moment. But what I kind of took from it and what I even wrote about at that time was, I think this is a very valuable lesson of what dating, sex, and love looks like in yes, 2018. Absolutely. Because, yeah, some are say this is a bad date. He doesn't know social cues or blah. I'm like, this is the problem with dating now. Yeah. And, and this is honestly a version of it where you act a certain way, you make social cues, you say things, and people are not picking it up. Yeah. Or they're aggressive or they don't understand consent. And I think we're in this strange realm now. Like, we're actually working on a story. I'm working on a story right now about how to date in the Me Too movement. Right. Because people are, like, nervous suddenly yeah. to, like, approach people. I know. It's like, is, is, is it sexual like, harassment? Yeah. Like, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. I think it's common sense of, like, what is harassment what isn't. Right. And then you hear about these stories of, like, people calling harassment when someone's being touched on the shoulder. Exactly. And, oh, my God, I was assaulted, guys. I was assaulted. for some, that could be flirting. Or for some, that could feel like assault. Right. right. You don't know You don't know every single person. It's so subjective. Right. So I think I think with Aziz, you know, I oh, God, it sucks because, like, there's no brown guys out there at all. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like, we're down to one now. It's yeah. It's like Minaj. But, you know, it's just, it just really, like, caught me by surprise of how real that date was mm-hmm. for people I know. Absolutely. For people like myself, yeah. for my female friends, I think for one whole week, we all talked about how we could relate to that story. Right. And that's sad. It really is. Like, it really that's is. that's just sad. It absolutely know? is. Because, like, as a man, I can never understand what a woman has gone through in that regard. I, I can only empathize and just kind of learn from those experiences and just have that open dialogue of communication, knowing what's right, what she feels comfortable with, so on and so forth. Uh, me reading that story like, and just kind of reviewing it and what have you, for me, when I read that story, I'm just like, it just sounded like a really bad date on both ends. And like there was like a lack of communication because one of the things that I w- kept on popping up in the article was, oh, he didn't pick up on my nonverbal cues. You know, I would mumble if I didn't like something. It's like, but that's very subjective because how is he supposed to know that? Unless if you guys have built up this long rapport where he kind of knows you in and out in a sense, how is he supposed to know that? So I'm not taking the seriousness away from the situation because I'm sure she felt uncomfortable, but you can't say, oh, he's supposed to know that when you guys 
barely know each other in I that sense. I think with that story, the biggest like punch for me was like she said that she doesn't want to have sex, right? Right. And once someone says that, yeah, like that's it, right? You know, like there's no real way working around it unless magically she changes her mind. Yeah. But once she said it, she said it, and then all of the actions following it, you know, he took her to the bedroom and to the couch, right? And started kissing her and like bent her over, and yeah. I was like, okay, buddy, you're not getting laid. Yeah. Like you're not smooth, you're not cool, and you're not getting laid. Right. Just End it now, yeah. Because you should know by now, exactly. Right, like you should know that this person is just just isn't into it, right? But obviously, he is a celebrity. He is a person of power, yeah. And in the in those situations, you know, I don't know Aziz, but I can only imagine as a celebrity, if you invite someone out, mm-hmm. you know, you take them back home, you're probably yeah. thinking you're gonna get laid, exactly. And then if you don't, you kind of want to work your way around it because. Right. Again, you're the celebrity. You invited her. You right. paid for dinner. And, you know, that's the sad part of all of this is that. Like the entitlement and, yeah, and what have you. Yeah, you don't know how to have a human conversation. Yeah. And people's egos get too much into it that if someone doesn't want to have sex with you, you just can't even be like, okay, I get it. It's like, oh, well, no, why? Exactly. You know, like, am I unattractive? Exactly. Do you know, like, my place? <laughs> right. And, and to be fair as well, like, I think, like, you know, with the whole dating scene as well, there are a lot of people, you know, who – not even a lot of people. Like there's there's some women who want that chase element, so to speak. And I'm not saying that it was like justifiable on on his end to keep on going for it. But again, him being a celebrity, him being in that light, and and some women liking that chase element. Like some women, like let's say a woman says, "No, I don't really want to do it," and then the guy doesn't do anything, and then. The next day they talk, it's like, oh, yeah, you're not really aggressive. Like, I want the more aggressive type. So maybe, for all I know, for all we know, he might be used to that type. He might have had that type in his entire life. And he's thinking, oh, there's just another girl who who likes that kind of thing. So maybe that's what he's thinking. I'm not saying that's what he was thinking. But because there are some people who kind of like that element and what have you, maybe that could be a potential reason as to why he still tried to pursue it. And even just reading that article, it was just like, I think at one point in time I read they were naked or something like that. Like they were both naked or at least half naked. So I'm trying to think, where did the no and the yes begin? You know what I mean? So for me, there's way too many inconsistencies I was trying to grasp hold of. I'm like, what happened? Like where was a communication breakdown? I think the story was reported in a very, not the best way. I yeah. And, and it sucks because I think it really backfired on what the bigger issue is, which is around consent still. Exactly. Right? And it sort of... It, it took, like, that story blew up all over the place and yeah. it made sort of feminists kind of attack each other because there were, like, older women yeah. who were feminists who were like, well, maybe she should just, like, punch him in the face and got out. <laughs> and then the younger ones are like, well, maybe she didn't want to get assaulted. Right. So there's, like, there's so many ends to this. And you, you truly don't know a person. And, you know, right. in our dating age, people hook up and meet strangers all the time. Exactly. You don't know how they are. Right. Right? And that's a risk that you take when you're when you are with someone and you're or you're having sex with them. And... I mean, the only thing I can hope for is yeah. that people have a better understanding of what dating is like. Exactly. And, like, picking up social cues. Right. And, like, understanding when someone's body is into you or not. Right. You know? For sure. And kind of, you know, going our way around back to Fabulous and, and Emily B., now that this is out, um, I can only imagine what she has gone through in the, within like the last week or so. But it also leads me to think – how long has she been dealing with this for? Yeah, nice. and yeah, and if if it's been for a long time, then I think it's time for her to just call it quits with this guy. I know that's the father of your child, but at the end of the day, your personal welfare and the welfare of your children as well mm-hmm. has to be paramount over everything else. Forget the lifestyle and like the luxury living and all that stuff, because some unfortunately some women can't let that go, right? Because they feel comfortable in that aspect. But when it, when your life is on the line in, in that regard, like. You got to put that to the side, basically. Yeah, I hope she has good family members and friends who are are supportive in that sense. Because for a lot of women, 
it's really hard to leave those relationships. Right. Like, even when, especially with celebrities and money is involved, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's not even about the money. I think people, f- I mean, there's a lot of mental health. Like Oh, 100%. Like, like when you're just sort of broken down so much. And yeah. there's a lot of fear of like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. You know, when you're kind of by yourself or you're not so independent. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, you know, you hear about, you hear stories all the time about assault and then people just stay. Yeah. You know, and it's, I think that's a really sad cycle too. It's really it, hard to get out of it. It really is. It really is. So hopefully she gets out of that cycle. Hopefully Fab can learn from this entire experience yeah. and just kind of rebuild himself into a better and like, man overall. own up to it too. Right, right. I think that's one of the biggest things. So people are owning up to what they're doing. Exactly. And I mean, I'm not saying this is right. Obviously it's not right, yeah. but everyone has done messed up things. Exactly. You need to really own up to it, especially when you're a public figure. Exactly. Like come clean. Yeah. And take, let, mm-hmm. let the public decide what to do with you. Exactly. <laughs> and then like just learn from that mistake to be a better person after that going forward, whether or not you're going to be with that woman. At least be a better father to that, to your children to after this whole entire ordeal. And then if they don't end up being back together, then at least learn to be somewhat of a confidant of sorts or a companion to some platonic manner if that's the case going forward. Yeah, and violence is a cycle. So when, you know, you're, when people see this in their families, mm-hmm. children can do it. Yeah. And... You don't want that cycle to continue. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what do you guys think of this entire situation? Whatever it is, hit us up on social media. Hit up the show at Cool Radio CC on as many platforms as possible and then chime in. And finally, I know that was a bit of a long one, but it's all good. But the final topic I want to get into in this segment um, has to do with our very own Canadian singer, Julie Black. Now, she was on a show entitled, let me see what the name of the show was. Canadian Reads? No. Canada Reads, yeah. yeah. So I, I've never heard of the show before. I'll be completely transparent about that. I've never heard about the show before. Uh, but basically, there's a panel of people who try to convince one another as to why this particular book is great for Canadian heritage and what have you just like why is it a great canadian novel so everyone's making their point about the novel and she got into a verbal dis- well, into a verbal dispute with a woman by the name of Jeanne becker Jeannie becker. becker pardon me Jeannie becker she should she, be renamed to Jeanne after this one she got <laughs> she got sunned on this one she used to be a Big time fashion TV host. Oh, really? Eh? Well, uh, we're going to get her a new wardrobe to uh, commemorate her at Big L. <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, they got into a heated dispute about, you know, race and color and, you know, in society and how that plays up into Canadian culture, basically. So basically, when she was making her point, Julie, when she was making her point, uh, Jeannie was like, oh, why are you attacking me? But I agree with you. Stop attacking me. <laughs> in, in my dramatic middle-aged white woman voice. Uh, she, but she really did say, quote, unquote, why are you attacking me, Julie? And then <laughs> she also continued on to say, I just feel like you're speaking to me like I don't believe that. I totally get what you're saying. And then so Julie kind of stopped midway through her through her explanation on her novel, and she just basically provided a teaching moment. Yes, she did. So she said the following. Let me tell you what you just said. I feel like. So whatever you are feeling, take it to the altar because I'm not the one responsible for your feelings. Listen, Julie Black, I'm saying this to you right now. When you come to the African Cook Council, you are getting all the jollof that your plate can handle, my friend. Hey, 
We will honor you. We will put out the red carpet and we will celebrate you like you are from Wakanda. Hey, listen, Julie said one of the most potent lines I've ever heard anyone say, regardless of where you're from. Like, she pretty much put out this person's like white guilt on display because at the end of the day, she wasn't talking about you. She was talking about the systemic oppressive system that is within Canada in regards to people of color and indigenous people overall. So unless if you felt some sort of way, like you are part of the problem, then why respond by saying, oh, I'm not attacking you, though. Oh, my gosh. I voted for Obama when I was in America. Like, stop this. Um, <laughs> Artie, what's your take on that? First of all, I love Julie Black. Right? I I have loved Julie Black for a while. I've seen her shows. I interviewed her years ago, actually, when I was still a student at Ryerson. Yeah. We talked about race. We talked about feminism. Mm -hmm. She is just the most honestly underrated Canadian artist. Like she, I just boggles my mind why she hasn't blown up to right. this like strong persona that I literally saw that day. I was like, I was on Twitter and I was looking at the tweets and I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Julie Black. Am I reading this right? Like the, the hashtag should have been the, the hashtag should have been Julie Bay. <laughs> you know I what I mean? Like, am I, and like for a moment, I was like, not, not my Julie. I know, not right? Not the Julie that I listen to. And right. I was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And you know what? I was gonna right. Just, yeah, like, clap for her. Yeah. Take a moment. You have to. This is what is not seen, especially in Canadian media. Like, Thank you. Media is so white, and I know when I work in it, and yeah. it's just. You need moments like this. You really do. You need a turning point like this. You need conversation changers. After right. This, after this all happened, I don't know if you saw, but she published a post in allblacks.com. I didn't see oh, that, sorry, no. Myblacks.com. Okay. And it was about why she said what she said. Yeah. And it was just going into the history, and it was going, and she has this now supportive movement behind her. And, and as well, she should. I think she put out like a t-shirt line she did. as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yo, get, yo, yeah. capitalize yeah. on that. Take advantage of the right, market. and like my and my thing is this: it's like I feel like that message was so crucial towards the people who are quick to say, "Oh, but racism doesn't e exist in Canada." What do you mean? But no, it exists in Canada. It's not as overt and in your face as it is in America to their degree, but it still exists nonetheless. Like racism is like a parasite that exists in multiple forms. I think the biggest issue when it comes to racism for us in Canada is systemic racism. Yep. Like how it infiltrates the workforce and immigration policies and things of that nature. That's how it affects us the most. In America, it affects them the most by by the industrialized prison complex system yep. and also with police brutality. Yep. Those two things are how racism affects um, affects. America the most. Oh, and also uh, the schooling system as well, the bug school system. How certain schools are 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 placed in certain areas, and how those areas don't get certain funding because of skin color, of course, right? I think those are the biggest issues when it comes to racism in America. But for us, it has to do with immigration. That's the biggest thing for us, in, in my opinion. So I'm glad that Julie Black spoke on that, even though when she wasn't really supposed to, I guess. Like, I I don't think the the the, the discussion was. The main part of the discussion, but that was, I yeah. guess, like a sidebar to it. Yeah. But it became the discussion afterwards. And of I think course. it's important that black Canadians and Canadians of color get into more of these discussions because it needs to be had. It just really does. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts to it. And I think it makes still people really uncomfortable to talk about race and racism. Yeah. And which it really shouldn't. It shouldn't be. Right? Like, people of color and indigenous people have 
been living with this. Mm-hmm. You know, we've lived this sort of life yeah. in a Canadian at- in this Canadian atmosphere and whatever, and we've grown up with it. And a lot of people, you know, some people say that they haven't felt any form of racism. Sure. A lot of people have. Right. A lot of people have, and they still do. And they may not be direct. It may be very indirect mm-hmm. or maybe stereotypical or typecasting you or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I find I didn't really talk about it a lot when I was younger because at that point I was like, okay, great. I am no one brown or I'm passing yeah. or whatever. Like, everyone's making fun of me. Right. But now when I actually look back and I think about actual, like, racism, I think about racism in my community, mm-hmm. like the anti-blackness that South Asians even have, and just – or even how and like Islamophobic that they even my community can be. Right. And now that we're so much more open to talk about it, people just don't want to talk about it. Yeah. It's like it makes their skin crawl, but guess what? It's supposed to. It's supposed to. It's uncomfortable. And it and you know, one of the, the things I hate the most I sorry, I hate a lot of things, but things I hate <laughs> the most when it comes to discussion is that people feel victimized. A lot of young white men, old white men at this moment, yeah. right now. And you're seeing it in the media, you're seeing it in the movements, the alt-right movements, and you're seeing it in, you know, these, like, white supremacists and white yeah. nationalist movements. Like, they feel so uncomfortable talking about race and how they're the enemy now. And and honestly, like, that's just crap. Yeah. Like, it's crap. No. Just listen. Just listen yeah. how people of color have been feeling their whole lives. Right. Listen to what black people say when they talk about carding mm-hmm. and they talk about, like, People getting shot and dying. Yeah. This is this is not a joke. This is real life. Yeah. And they're just talking about it. Is it bothering you that they're protesting? Okay, maybe it bo- maybe protesters bother you. But at the end of the day, this is just people finally mm-hmm. opening about what's been happening their entire lives. Exactly. And for someone like Julie Black to turn on, you know, this CBC show. Yeah. Sure it's CBC, show. It's CBC yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like look at the audience of CBC. It's like old white people. Let's I'm be honest. Assume. Let's keep it 100. Yeah. I'm going to assume it's going to be all white people. And then they just see this woman. And then it it also worries me because now it's like, oh, well, she's just an angry black woman, right? Right, and exactly. And she gets typecasted too. But you need people like that. Yeah. You need people like that in those moments to stand up and talk about these issues because we're not hearing enough. We we live on Twitter. A lot of us live on Twitter. Yeah. It becomes a silo. Yeah. And we all talk about race and we all, you know, we hate on each other and we all hate certain people, blah, blah. But, like, take these conversations back to the communities, you know? Yeah. Take them back home. Absolutely. That's like, what we need to do. Racism happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. Like, there's, like, racism, unfortunately, it will never die. It will always multiply. Mm-hmm. It's just up to other people who want to combat against it to multiply in those same numbers, basically, yeah. to continue the fight, essentially. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy that Julie Black said all that because it's something that needed to be said. Because at the end of the day, it's like whenever we talk about our views and our experiences, they, are, they automatically get dismissed just because that person has never experienced it before or just because they don't want to feel like they're being attacked. But we're not attacking you specifically. We're attacking the system in place yeah. and the people who have benefited off of that system, like the ones who are like a cause of the system and benefited. And it's also to show them that they to themselves benefit from that, even though they're not the cause of it. They just they just like subconsciously benefit from it because of how they look and how they the appear and what have you. That, that's all that is. We're not saying that you yeah. you are the enemy. You are KKK no. member number one. We're not telling you that. We're just saying you know that because this system is in play and because it's been in play for generations upon generations you are the, benefa- the the beneficiaries of it because at the end of the day, this land was basically established on colonization yep. and you're the beneficiary of it. Now, what, what you do with this information is entirely incumbent on you. If you decide to spread awareness for it, great, all the more power to you. If you don't, that's your choice. You have the autonomy. I'm just letting you know that these are the facts. What you do with it is on you. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's how it should be. Maybe people just don't know what to do. Probably, yeah. You know? Like, I sometimes think about it, like, especially, you know, in the beginning when when a lot of the Black Lives Matters protests were happening. And, yeah. And in the U.S., it was such a powerful movement mm-hmm. because... I mean, we know what happened. We know what happened in the in the system there, and we know what's ha- still happening in, in the like just a few weeks ago. Someone, right. Someone got shot again. Right. And um, when I when you hear about it in Canada, and then you know there's protests here, and there's a ton like there's a ton of ton of people trying to make change into the into the legal system here as well. Yeah. And I I think about people sitting back, and I remember having conversations like earlier the day, earlier last year about. The protests and even like the women's, I remember the women's march. It's like, what do what do I do? What can I do? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. I guess I don't like Trump either. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm like, go protest. Yeah. Go support an organization. Yeah. You know, go go listen, read an article. Yeah. Do something. I think at the end of the day, if you're doing something and you recognize what's happening and you're kind of taking that mindset and you're thinking about it, yeah, that's all you can really do. Really. You know, you can think about it. I agree. I agree. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely an issue that's never going to end anytime soon. No. But we just need more people like Julie Black speaking about it, to have that literal platform to deliver that. And at the end of the day, it can create that dialogue and discussion. Hopefully, we can find better solutions or remedies to kind of alleviate that pain going forward. Essentially, I hope her media tank just keeps going and she gets multiple interviews after the exactly just, like, writes more and does ride more. that wave. Ride that. Listen, wave. hashtag Julie Bay. I'm yeah. starting that right now. Julie <laughs> Bay, most. Definitely. Definitely. Great. Yeah. But what do you guys think about this, man? Hit 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 me up on social media at cool underscore sorry, no, cool radio cc on multiple platforms and let me know what you think about this matter. Now it's time to go old school with our flashback Friday track of the day. And I feel like because we're talking about Julie Black, we gotta go into some throwback Julie Black records. Yes. Now this record right here, it's one of the first times that I heard Julie Black. And this was back in 2001 when I was a young shorty coming up in the day, you know? Um, but this record is probably one of my favorite Canadian records of all time. And not only does it feature her, but it also features Cardinal Fischel. Oh, it features... <laughs> I know you do. It features Sean Paul, the first time I ever heard Sean Paul. And it also features the production stylist of the Baby Blue Sound crew. Ladies and gentlemen, this record is called Money Jane. And when we get back from the commercial break, we do have our Wednesday of the Week segment. Keep it locked. Yeah. Yes, yes, y'all. Welcome back to the show. It is your man, DM Cool. And this is Cool Radio. I still got the lovely and talented RT Patel in the studio. Say what's up to people. Hello, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, we have reached the overtime edition of Cool Radio. I mean, let's be honest, we reached the overtime edition like a half hour ago. But it's all good, though, because the, the dialogue was smooth, it was potent, it's something that needed to be discussed. But we will be ending the show very soon. But before we do that, I got to give y'all one more segment. I couldn't leave you guys hanging without doing this segment. So on that note, <clears throat> who has been entered in the shallow walls of the Hall of Shame this week? Who has been crowned the captain of coonery this week? Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Wankster of the Week. This week's Wankster of the Week goes to none other than living Wankster himself, UFC fighter Conor McGregor. Now, this imbecile is getting the Wankster of the Week because he decided to act a fool and get WrestleMania started early by... 
showing up with a large number of people within his entourage looking like Cloth from Black Panther. And he decided to grab a dolly of some sort and throw it at a UFC tour bus that had UFC participants inside the bus. Now, the damage was so bad that three of its fighters had to have their fights delayed for their opening uh, pay-per-view card happening tomorrow on Saturday. Because of the fact that they suffered cuts to their eyes, including an individual by the name of, I think it was Ch... It's a Ch noise. It's a Ch noise. It's a... Let's see here. I'm going to look at my little tablet real quick for that name because I it's slipping off my tongue right now. But the combatant's name goes by the name of... Yo, why is this thing so slow? <laughs> Bumbaras. Uh, let's see here. Don't worry, people. I got it. I got it. The name of this individual goes by the name of Michael Chiesa. There we go. After 10 seconds later. Uh, Michael Chiesa. So that shows you how much UFC I watch. Uh, but nonetheless, he will not be able to fight because he has glass in his eye, basically, as well as other competitors that were on that bus. So my thing is this right here. I'm not surprised that he would do something this stupid, especially when you consider the fact that he's damn near untouchable because of the fact that he just earned $100 million by fighting Floyd Mayweather in a fight that he lost, but still earned the most that he's ever earned, even in a UFC octagon. So he feels like he can do whatever he wants. But now you're endangering the careers of your peers. Like, why are you throwing tantrums and throwing items during your tantrum and basically costing money and taking food off of their plates? These guys are... Most of these guys have never had a big fight in their life, and this is their big opportunity, and you just took it from them for no reason. It's not like Dana White didn't put you on the card for no reason. You basically have the right to say, I want to be on this card, make it happen, and if you're mad about not being on the card, then this is not the way to do it. But I doubt that's the case because from what I've been hearing, you've been turning down fights left, right, and center that Dana's been throwing at you, and you've been saying, nah, nah, I'm good, fam, I'm good. But no, like, you are taking money off of somebody's plate because God knows if anyone took money off of your plate like that, you would be livid. You'd be throwing that dolly at that person that that basically took money off of your plate. But now you're doing it to your other competitors. Now, a lot of people are saying that this is a publicity stunt and how they just wanted to do this to drum up ratings. But when three of your fighters can't fight anymore because of this incident, then your ratings are most likely going to go down. Now, granted, this could probably be built up in a way where in a year from now, when, when this gentleman uh, recovers from his injuries, that he'll want to fight with Conor McGregor, and they can use a whole backdrop storyline of how all this came to pass, and it can be like a WWE-style promo, basically. Because this entire situation sounds very WWE-ish. Like, when you're watching, like, Monday Night Raw, for example, you see the big truck pull in, and Stone Cold comes out, and he's knocking his left right center on his way to the ring, and then he gets to the ring and beats up McMahon. It sounds like one of those things, but right now, I think it's realer than that. And because of the fact that this guy took money off of somebody's purse, I can't give you credit for that, bro. Like, you're, you you claim to be about all about the Benjamins. You're making a rain during these little fight promo tours and all that stuff, like, like a white Mayweather in a sense. But now you're taking money off of somebody else's plate. And I can't rate that. So that being said, Connor McIdiot, you are getting the wankster of the week. Do you deserve this wankster? Of course you do. I'm going to drop it one more time just like this. Artie, what are your thoughts on that? He is just so dumb. Like, I was reading that story yesterday. Yeah. I mean, I know him. I don't really watch this fight. Yeah. Whatever it's called. Yeah. <laughs> right, but right. 
you know, I know, I know his whole story with Lloyd, and I know what he did yesterday. And I was reading uh, as it was developing yesterday what was happening to the people on the bus. Yeah, and I was like, how stupid can you be? Right. Like uh, at this day and age, but you know what? Part of me feels like he's gonna get away with this. Oh yeah, of course. He's not getting anything. Nothing's gonna happen to his career. But like, how stupid do you have to be to be that angry? Exactly. And everyone is filming you. Right. And you're a household name. Yes. And now you're you're in you're in handcuffs. Right. And you have a court date in June. Exactly. Like good for you. Yeah, good for you. Congratulations, you played yourself. Like, and for anyone who thinks this is like funny or cool, like it's just not. Nah, like you're taking money off of somebody else's plate. Basically, you're taking out of their bag essentially. And I heard that he originally did this because there was a rival on that bus. Yeah. Like a fighter that he rivaled or whatever. Yeah. Like, it sounds like very WWE. I agree. It sounds very WWE, sounds, especially yeah. when you see the amount of people in his entourage that came with yeah. him and all that. Like, what was all that about? And it's just, it's just pathetic. Like, grow, honestly, grow up. Yeah, like, the man's like, he's, he's our age. He's in his late 20s, basically. So it's just like, what is going on in your head? Like, you must be on drugs. Like, that's the only thing yeah. I can think of. You must be on coke. Like, literally. And I almost feel bad for Dana White because... He's the only bankable star that he currently has on his roster. Everyone else is either suspended or they're off doing other things. Like uh, Ronda Rousey, she's in the WWE now. Uh, what's the name? Uh, John Jones. Like he's currently serving a suspension for for the doping allegations. Uh, Connor did this stupid stuff. It's a good year for PR for them. It really isn't. Like I mean, mind you, they have. Brock Lesnar coming back to them, but let's be honest, this guy's way past his prime. Like I've been looking Brock at him, Lesnar, like the like the wrestler. Yeah, oh. like he was in UFC for a bit. He won the heavyweight title, but then he left uh, UFC uh, because like he had some sort of ailment or whatever. So he went to WWE, and with WWE, he works what's called a part time schedule. So he only show up on the major dates and actually perform in ring. And whenever he does perform in ring, it's only for like about ten minutes or less, basically. So it's nothing more than like glorified squash matches. So he's been in WWE from like 2012 and onwards. And so now he's at the end of his contract, and he's actually renegotiating a contract with UFC. So he's most likely going to sign that. So I don't know what's in store for him, but he his his career as a primetime fighter, in my opinion, is done. Um, yeah, I don't really think much it's of him. Like this toxic masculine man. It really is too like much machismo. Throwing stuff around like this is. That's not how you handle your business. No one needs to see this now, and no one's impressed by this. Yeah. Like you're a fool, and every international headline is making you look like the biggest tool. Exactly, and, and like the business suffers for it. Yeah. What? Like they clearly don't care about money. <laughs> is what I'm looking I at. I mean, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of money. Yeah, but they're gonna lose a lot of but money because lose of, a lot this. of money yeah. this guy. Like I can only imagine how much money they're gonna be losing off of this fight that they have coming up tomorrow. That's unfortunate. It really is. It really is. But hey, that is the wankster of the week. <laughs> <laughs> now, Deserved. absolutely. Now, before we go, and we have to conclude tonight's show. It was a great show, uh, Artie. Thank you so much for coming through. No Thanks for having me. It's yeah, a lot of fun. You're more than welcome to come through anytime. Um, where can the people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter mm. at RT Patel, at RT Patel, so A-R-T-I-P-A-T-E-L. I hope everyone knows the Patel by now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know like three, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, <laughs> not related. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter or you can find me on Instagram, same name with a one. That's what's up. That's what's up. Someone else with the other RT Patel on Twi- on Instagram. Oh, really? So you have, you, to, uh, you have to swerve around. It's it. not good. I'll let her have it. Yeah, you know, you know you're one of us. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. We're kind of forever. <laughs> but yeah, no, I de- definitely thank you for coming through. Um, And ladies and gentlemen, as for next week, our guests will... Be determined. Don't really have a guest as of yet right now. We're kind of working on it, but I'll let you know next Friday. But nonetheless, y'all can follow me on 
as many social media accounts as possible at Cool Radio CC. So we are available on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram as well. So make sure you follow that handle. And as you already know, Cool Radio is a division of Cool Click Media and Entertainment, reminding you each and every day that we are out here creating our own legacies. Keep it gravy and wavy. We are out of here. Peace. Cool!